Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another new episode of the Pitch to Contact podcast, part of the Twins Talk Network. Uh, I'm thrilled to be joined by my co-host, John Cuff from Pitcher List. John, how's it going? Uh, well, I was really hoping we'd be celebrating a sweep against the Nats, but instead we're celebrating that we almost didn't get swept by the Nats. Yeah, not everything can go uh, right, unfortunately, in baseball, but I think there were some positive signs. A lot of negative signs, yep. but we'll get into all of those uh, as we go throughout our show today. Of course, the uh, other big Minnesota topic of the week is the Wolves on the verge of getting swept or recording this before game four tonight. But in the meantime, uh, they still live technically. Uh, but I will yep. say I was completely right about what was going to happen. Yoke just <laughs> dominated. The Timberwolves have looked completely outclassed, but Hey, That's what happens we, when you're we the could eighth. win the next three and force game seven. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's not over till it's over, but there's been Correct. very few positive signs from anyone not named Anthony Edwards. I think. Yes. Yeah. It's been it's been a tough watch, and then it just so happened that the wall that the, the Twins have been a tough watch this past week. Um, and so the only bright spot for me has been that the Wild have a two one lead in, the, in their playoff series, but. Um, you didn't come here for some uh, hockey talk, unfortunately. So Definitely. Minnesota angst is at an all-time high. Twins angst is at probably their season high right now. So let's get into it. Let's talk you through it. But first, uh, some quick reminders for you. Be sure to follow our podcast on Twitter, at Twins Talk Pod. Uh, and be sure to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google, Amazon. If you can listen to podcasts on it, we have it for you there. Uh, and if you feel so inclined, leave a five-star review. And everything you can do helps, and we're happy to bring this show to your ears every single week. 
This week, what we're doing is recapping the Twins series losses to the Red Sox and Nationals. Uh, Some positive things we saw, some negative things we saw, especially with the offense, and then some exciting news and notes around the Twins that hopefully spell some good signs going forward. So with that, let's get into it. John, let's talk about the Red Sox. Uh, Game one was a 5-4 loss uh, last Tuesday. Sonny Gray was on the bump, five innings, uh, gave up one earned run, um, seven hits, two walks, uh, but finished with seven strikeouts. So honestly, a pretty solid, pretty solid game from Sonny. The the curveball and the slider were getting whiffs. Um, the the four seamer was getting called strikes. Um, his K rate actually on the season is nearing what he was doing back in 2019, 2020. Um, and, and I looked this up. 2019, he finished seventh in the NL Cy Young race. Um, and so really, really solid pitcher back in 2019 and he's striking out guys at the same at pretty much the same rate that he was uh back then it's only four starts um but i think it's been a very positive start to the season for gray um the only blip here really is is those seven walks uh, sorry those seven hits and two walks uh but again only gave up one earned run so overall pretty solid day for him yeah the red Sox aren't a stellar lineup, but they're not a bad lineup either, right? They're solidly, mm-hmm. I think, middle of the road. It was a really good start from Sonny. Um, and like you were saying, he's looking like peak Sonny Gray, which at 33, it's fair to question if he was ever going to look like that again. He had some mm-hmm. um, rough stretches there throughout his career, but he's looked really, really good to start the season. And, you know, maybe the Twins don't have a true number one ace, but on the right night, Sonny Gray, Joe Ryan, Pablo Lopez, they can all look like that. And I yeah. think that that's really good signs for the future. Yeah. Um, moving a little bit to the offense, there was actually a weird sequence. Um, actually, this is technically the defense. Uh, there was a weird sequence in the eighth inning, um, where there was some catcher interference. So basically Reese McGuire, uh, hit, um, Christian Vasquez's glove on a swing. Um, but then he did make contact with the ball. Uh, and then I believe, I think it was Miranda who fielded it and he threw it over to Donovan Solano at first, but the Donovan had to come off the bag to catch the ball. Uh, But then I think it was kind of interesting because they knew, I think the twins knew immediately that it was catcher's interference. So they thought it was a dead ball situation, which in that case would have runners on first and second, uh, because there was a man on first at at the time. But apparently a rule with catcher's interference is that the hitting team can opt to choose for the result of the play to stand. And so because Solano came off the bag, um, Reese McGuire was safe at first. And then the guy who was on first got over to third Next at bat was kind of like a weak grounder um, up uh, to Nick Gordon. He charged the ball, uh, tried to throw a little bit off balance to home. It was off target. Vasquez wasn't able to catch it cleanly and tag the runner out. Um, and that kind of just that resulted, I believe, in the game uh, ending that that inning in a 3-3 tie, uh, which ultimately led to extras, which also wasn't that great. Yeah, I, I think John and I would both consider ourselves as, you know, big baseball guys. We know baseball pretty well. I had no idea about this rule. And so, <laughs> yeah, I have no idea. And so I, I think it's fair that the players didn't, right? Because it's not something that comes up all that often, Yeah. Um, especially with catcher's interference, where usually the guy doesn't get a good swing on it. He didn't in this case either. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's just kind of a weird, unfortunate series of events, which is a little bit of the theme for the Twins this week. Yeah, uh, that continued in in extras. Uh, they got two runs in the tenth, which normally that's kind of the goal in extras is you want to get the the ghost runner in, but you want to tag on another run just to make it a little bit more difficult for for the the other team. Um, it, the 
the but the Twins also kind of capitalized on some weird defense from the Red Sox because they there was like a weird fielding play that they had uh, where I think they could have had a double play at first and second, but then the shortstop, I believe uh, Enrique Hernandez, he kind of hesitated when he fielded the ball, thought about throwing it home, decided not to, and then instead just got the the easier out at first. Um, and then for the Twins, they brought in Giovanni Moran. He had a wild pitch in the first at bat, uh, so it turned his strikeout into a base runner on first. Then he walked the second batter, so ultimately ended up with bases loaded. And then there was like a single out to left that Larnick had a chance at. Like it, it kind of bounced on the ground before it got to his glove. Uh, and then that led in two runs, or uh, I think yeah, two runs. And then there was a third run that they gave up in a fly ball until like the pesky pole. I mean, it didn't hit the pole, but it was basically fair by inches like the the twins try to challenge it and um ultimately unsuccessful and then uh yeah so the red sox ended up having a walk-off uh in the 10th inning yeah i I think this was a weird game altogether there were a few weird things that happened and leading to extras and then in extra innings itself uh but i also think it's important to note that you know, the twins were in this position where Giovanni Moran was pitching in the 10th, partly because Sonny Gray could only go the five innings. So they had used Lopez, Thielbar, Jackson, Duran already by right. the time they got to the 10th. Mm-hmm. And so they were left with Moran. They didn't have a lot of other options. And this kind of goes back to in the off season, everyone was saying you need one more reliable bullpen arm, right? And this was even assuming that Lopez was going to look good, that Duran was still going to look good again this year. And they have, but Mm -hmm. even without that, you know, it'd be really nice to have say a Michael Fulmer to throw out there in that situation instead of Giovanni Moran, who has looked shaky at best to start the year. Yeah. Him, Alcala, both have been pretty meh. Um, Of course there's, you know, Emilio Pagan, who we'll talk about a little bit later. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. The, the top of the bullpen is elite, right? Um, but it's yeah, it's the it's those it's a fifth, sixth, seventh option, which honestly they they end up pitching a lot more than you think they do. Um, you can't trot out your top three guys every single night. You've got to trot out someone like Alcala or Moran, and um, yeah, it's just been kind of rough. Uh, I think we a lot of times when we mention their names, I mean this is the case with all relievers. You really don't want to mention their name. Um, unless because uh, when you do, it's because they did something poorly usually. But I feel like Moran and Alcala have had a little bit uh, tougher start to the season than maybe what a lot of fans were expecting. Definitely, it's it's just a rough situation to put the bullpen in um, when you only have a few guys you really feel like you can rely on. And mm-hmm. while the Twins do have a lot of starting pitching depth, they don't really have a lot of short relief depth in the mm-hmm. system. Where you know the next guy up, uh, if there was a move like sending Moran down to get a few things figured out. It's probably Brock Stewart, who's a kind of journeyman, 30-year-old quadruple-A type reliever who has put up some good numbers in St. Paul so far, but not exactly the guy you want to rely on because Trevor McGill has looked awful in spring training and triple-A. So it's, you know, unless you want to start the process of converting somebody to short relief like Josh Winder, now that he's starting to get a little more healthy, there's just not that many options that the Twins could go with at this point. Right. Yeah, they're, they're really, I, I mean, I think Winder is maybe kind of the next natural guy to move up in, move up from like the, the rotation to the bullpen. Uh, but again, that that's something that the Twins will have to figure out um, kind of over the course of the next couple weeks because they did send down uh Alcala to triple a i believe so um yeah just some some decisions that they're going to have to make uh moving on to the second game it was a 10-4 win 
Uh, Joe Ryan uh, led the way six innings with six hits, three earned runs, uh, one walk, and three strikeouts. Uh, the fastball was still pretty good this this start, despite you know the six hits and three earned runs. Good command was getting strikes, uh, but I think this is maybe the start where you saw like, oh, okay, when the secondaries aren't on for Joe Ryan, like it's it's kind of tough for him to have like a, a, a super clean start. Um, the splitters were pretty much non-competitive. A lot of them were either way below the zone or in the dirt. The slider command was pretty much all over the place. Not, you know, wasn't really thrown well for strikes um, or at least trying to attempt to get strikes. Um, but the fastball was good enough to to hang on and, and only give up three earned runs. Yeah. Uh, for whatever reason, the Twins offense loves to score for Joe Ryan, though. So yeah, he didn't exactly. need to uh, look perfect. And I, I think he was still really solid despite not necessarily having the secondaries there. Mm-hmm. Um but, you know, when you put up 10 runs, the starting pitcher doesn't really need to do all that much to get the win in that case. Yeah. I mean, a big part about that offense was actually Joey Gallo returning from the IL. Uh, he went two for five with three RBI and a homer. Um, he's currently slashing through 11 games, 258, 361, 774. Um, yeah, those are just gaudy numbers. Um, obviously, it's it's a small sample size. He actually does also have the lowest strikeout rate of his career right now. Um, I was looking up looking up his numbers on fan graphs. I was like, this is, that's a really low strikeout rate. And then I realized, oh yeah, he's never been that good. So maybe yeah. something is clicking for him in Minnesota. Um, if, if he can kind of stay where, where he's at right now, like this would, this might be the best $11 million contract that twins have ever given out. Definitely. Gallo is someone who has the potential to be the middle of the order order bat, but he got a one year, $11 million deal because he hit 170 for the last year and a half with the Yankees and Dodgers, right? Right. So if yeah. that 170 goes to even 220, 230, let alone the 260 it's been around so far this year, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, you know, that deal is going to be well worth it. And he's going to get a massive deal in the offseason if, you know, that improvement is legit and not just a matter of small sample, which it definitely could be. The strikeout rate looks better. He's tied for the team lead in home runs with, of all people, Michael A. Taylor. Yeah. Uh, but actually, I think he has the lead now. Does he have the lead now? Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, yep. Well, there you go. But uh, either it's way, it's only a one homer lead. <laughs> it's a one homer lead, but he's someone who, if it's working, he's going to be the jolt that the offense really needs, especially yep. right now while everything's going a little slower. Yeah, for sure. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But yeah, he's kind of the one bright spot or one bright consistent spot um, in in the offense. Uh, game three was a- another weird one. Um, it was eleven to five loss. Uh, Kenta Maeda started uh, again. Remember, he he actually got skipped the last time around, um, just kind of for fatigue reasons. Uh, but he did start uh, this past Thursday, uh, but only pitched two innings. Had given up a homer to Alex Verdugo on a hangy slider in the first, but he he was kind of looking pretty decent. Um, had a pretty clean second inning, but then at the end of the second inning, he got hit in the ankle by a comebacker. Um, by uh, Jaron Duran, he did manage to throw him out. It did look a little weird though, because like in the process of throwing the ball to first base, uh, first base, it looked like his the 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 ankle that he got hit kind of buckled a little bit. Um, he immediately went down and basically was just kind of on the ground for for a bit. Um, Twins eventually, you know, came in. They 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 the training staff saw him. They took him out kind of for precautionary reasons, um, and then put in Emilio Pagan uh, to start the third and. Pagan had an interesting line. So it was 1.2 innings, eight hits, six earned runs, only managed one strikeout. Um, I was watching this over again. It, he he started out a little unlucky. I, I think like he was giving up base hits, but they weren't like 
you know, meatballs down the play. Like they're kind of like nibbling the, the corners or, or the edges of the zone. Uh, but I think just as more runners were getting on base, he just started losing confidence, uh, just started giving up more meatballs. Like it, it, the second hit he gave up was a Devers double in the third inning and StatCast had an expected batting average of uh, uh, 0.03. But because it went off the green monster, uh, it was a hit. And then Tristan Cassis had a, a single that loaded the bases that had an expected bat- batting average of 90. Um, but then right after that, he just started giving up a couple meatballs that resulted in a lot more runs coming in. Um, and then Alcala also not very good. Uh, 2.1 innings, two hits, three earned runs, just throwing meatballs down to play to Jaron Dern and Yu Chang. Uh, I believe Yu Chang ended up with a homer um, in this one too. So um, yeah, the, re- the relieving core was not great. Uh, to follow up that that Kenta start, yeah, they were they're put in a rough position, obviously, by the Maeda injury, having to come in that early, especially because their long man uh, Brent Hedrick, who was just called up, was used the previous night to finish out the last three innings of Joe Ryan's yep. start with the Twins mm-hmm. well in the lead. They're just like, hey, let's throw the long man out there um, yep. so we don't have to burn any arms. And so since Hedrick wasn't available. Uh, you know, they just really asked Pagan and Akla to go out there and throw 50, 60 pitches and yep. get done what you could get done with that. There, there was, I, I think you could see with Pagan, especially it was really affecting his confidence. I think like anybody, he hasn't performed the way he wants to as a mm-hmm. twin. And it's easy to get your confidence shaken when you're being put in that position and not really being set up to succeed. And so right. I'm not a Pagan fan. I'm not going to sit here and defend Emilio Pagan. But in this scenario, this isn't like a, oh, why did Rocco throw Pagan out there? He loves Pagan. Mm-hmm. No, it's just we didn't have any other options. And right. you don't want to burn Jack, Steelbar, uh, Johan Duran in this game. And so you ask Emilio Pagan, Jorge Alcala, and then eventually Willie Castro yeah. uh, to finish it out and move on to the next one. Yeah. It was a little weird here, though, because like you mentioned, Brent Hedrick, the day before throws a three inning save. And usually the kind of the rule of thumb is if your long reliever pitches like a, an outing, you just send him back to triple a and you bring up the next guy. And granted, this was the third game in a Red Sox series. I don't know where the saints were necessarily. Like, I don't know if they could have sent a guy over in, in time to, you know, be warm and, and be able to uh, pitch in this game. But it, it did feel a little weird that they didn't send Hendrick down immediately and bring up another another arm. Um, but of course, yeah. I guess they you know they couldn't have predicted that. Oh, we're going to need seven innings of relief the day after we go out with our long reliever. Right. I think part of the issue is Cole Sands, since he was optioned earlier, he has that 15 day waiting window right. before he's yep. called up again, mm-hmm. uh, unless he's replacing someone who goes on the IL. Right. right. So yeah. in that case, there's an exception. But Cole Sands wasn't available to be called up because of that, and then. You kind of have to ask yourself, do we call up one of the other AAA starters and make them work out of the bullpen, which I don't mm-hmm. really think they want to do with Ober or Varland, especially, and even Simeon Woods-Richardson. I think they'd like yep. to avoid that. They ended up calling up Woods-Richardson eventually anyway, but I think that was kind of the last resort move because, again, they want to keep those three working as starters. They think long-term they are starters, and so right. it, yep. it makes sense. You don't want to convert those guys versus someone like Sands or Hedrick, who is most likely ending up in the bullpen long-term anyway. Right, and like we mentioned, Trevor McGill has not been doing very well, oh, so the last thing you want to do is bring him up and, you know, ruin his confidence. Um, 
the the bats in this game, you know, it it's always tough to come back from a 10-1 deficit. That's kind of what it was in the sixth. They did manage to load the bases in the ninth, and um Julian managed to get a hit kind of with two outs, but there was just a weird base running decision by Kepler. I don't know if it was Kepler who decided it or the third base coach. Uh, but he basically got it, it was a it was a short uh hit to to like short center. So it wasn't like it was like a deep hit. Um and Kepler, I think, was running from second because the guy from third scored. Um, but he was like halfway down the line between third and home. And then it, the the cutoff man got the ball. And then Kepler was just pretty much out by a mile um, when he tried to get back to third. So, um, you know, I, it was still 10-4 at that time. I'm not saying that Kepler's the uh, – sorry, 11-5 at that time. I'm not saying Kepler was the reason we lost this game at all. But I think it's like maybe indicative of the twins still don't really know what to do uh, on the bases, running, running the bases. This year and last year have to be some of the worst base running twins teams I can remember. There were like three games last year that Hilberto Celestino lost by himself making dumb base running decisions, right? right? And so guys who are relatively fast, like Kepler, right? He's not a speed Mm -hmm. demon, but he is a good runner. But he's still put into these bad positions. And again, whether it's him, whether it's Tommy Watkins, whether it's Rocco Baldelli, there's something that's not clicking about the base running. And those Mm -hmm. are the little things that, you know, sure, in a random blowout in April against the Red Sox, it doesn't matter. But come September, October, that can be the difference between winning the division, not winning the division, winning a playoff game, not winning a playoff game. So now's mm-hmm. the time to tighten that stuff up. Hopefully we see some improvement throughout the year. Right. And I mean, I don't have the stats in front of me, so this is purely just like conjecture and from watching games, but it does feel like we're one of the least aggressive base running teams uh, in the majors. Uh, I think we only have one stolen base this season from Nick Gordon. I don't know if we've had one since he he stole that base back, I think, in, in like the first week. Um, but, yeah, we just aren't aggressive. And then the weird thing, too, was that in spring training, we brought in, brought in Paul Mulder to kind of work on some base running drills. And, you know, everyone's like, oh, you know, maybe they're actually getting their act together. But uh, clearly, you know, three, four weeks through the season, it, it has not looked like that at all. Yeah, again, it's a it's an 11-5 blowout loss. It doesn't matter, but mm-hmm. in those losses, you're still looking for some positive things, right? Because the at-bats still count. The innings you're pitching still count. The base running yep. decisions that you're making, maybe they don't count as much, but you still want to make good decisions so that when they do count, you're doing the right thing. Yep. Well, after that uh, series with the Red Sox, we came home to the Nationals hoping for some better results. Uh, and we ended up in game one with a 3-2 loss. Uh, Tyler Molly started out 6.1 innings. Um, he had four strikeouts, only gave up three hits and one run. Um, you know, some good stats for Molly. Underlying metrics were a little bit worrying. Um, he was down a tick and a half on the fastball, which is probably one of the more, you know, one of the things that you look at to kind of determine if there's any injury there. Obviously, he had his shoulder issues last year. But if I'm being honest here, like, it was a cold it was a cold night start. Um, I was actually in at that game for a couple innings and um, it was not warm to say the least Uh, in terms of late April games, it was probably as cold as it could get. Um, So yeah, he just, that might've played a factor in in the lower velocity, the poor command, the the slider was all over the place. Uh, It wasn't being thrown competitively for strikes. Um, So the fact that he actually made it out with only uh, one earned run was, was pretty admirable, I think. Um, so, but then he handed the game over, um, to Thielbar who pitched the, the remainder of the seventh and then Jax came in at the eighth 
uh, but ended up blowing a save there. Um, just kind of looking at the the you know the the pitches and where he was throwing them, and there was just too many sweepers in the zone. Like that, that's kind of Jax's thing where he goes exclusively sweeper. But in today, in in yes, not sorry, not yesterday, in Friday's game, um, there were just too many in the zone, and then the fastball sort of also just in the heart of the plate, giving up hits. Um, but you know that, that Jax has these blowups. Like it's been a couple weeks since his last blowup. I think you just sometimes take these from from relievers. And at the end of the day, like we were still in the game once he was out, out um, finished with that eighth inning. Yeah, I, I would push back a little bit. I think Jax mostly got unlucky. Like, yeah, the stuff wasn't quite there. It's the cold; it happens. I'm, I'm not mm-hmm. really worried about that. The contact was weak. Trevor Larnick had a really bad throw to nobody uh, while he was mm-hmm. pitching that let a guy advance a base. And so yeah. he he wasn't put in a good position by the defense. And even the hits they did give up were, like most of the ones the Nationals got this series, pretty weak contact. And so yeah. that that's kind of what made this whole series and this game as well so frustrating. Is yeah. It's not like the Nationals were beating us. It was, they were just getting lucky with blooper after blooper. Right. It was it, like watching the hits was so frustrating because it's like right in between, you know, the infield and the outfield where it's like there's nothing that you can do to, you know, get um, to ensure that that's more of an out. You know, like the the center fielders, were the outfielders are playing where they should be. Infielders obviously a little bit limited by the shift, so they can't be in the grass. But uh, yeah, it, it was tough to tough to watch for sure. Um, yeah, but like I said, nothing I'm seriously worried about with Griffin Jacks. I think he's still a good late inning arm that the Twins have. Yeah, uh, the big story here on the bat side, at least, was the return of Jorge Polanco, and the corresponding move was sending um, Edward Julian down to Triple A. Um, but the bats, you know, weren't like out, out of this world. They only managed six hits, three walks. Joey Gallo did hit a homer. Uh, Buxton went two for four, so a little bit, a few bright spots there. Um, the Gallo Homer was especially nice because, uh, that happened right as I walked into target field, <laughs> uh, basically got in through the gate and then saw Gallo hit Homer. I was like, oh, okay. It's, today's going to be a great day. And then, uh, <laughs> well, we all know how that ended up. Yeah. It, it was good to see Buxton making some contact, getting some more hits, yeah. uh, after that rough stretch that he had at the end of the last week, beginning of this week. Um, you know, he was starting a downward slide and I think we've seen with Buck before he kind of gets in his head a little bit. And can't turn around, but he really got himself out of this rut pretty quick, which is good. One of the few positive signs from the offense in general uh, Mm -hmm. against the Nationals. And then, yeah, Polanco being back is just great to see. Having his name in the lineup every day just Mm -hmm. makes the lineup look better, right? When you have that guy who's um, a reliable hitter, he's not, I, I think this elite hitter the twins maybe wanted him to be, but he's really good. He's above average. He's going to get you a 120 to 130 OPS plus, right? And for a lineup that has so few of those guys right now, that's mm-hmm. a big deal. Yeah. Um, and he, as a switch hitter, he offers a lot of options and where he can be placed in the lineup. And um, yeah, we'll be glad that he's back. Um, moving on to game two, which is a 10-4 loss. Um, this one's also a weird one. Pablo Lopez, uh, Four innings, uh, gave up eight hits, five earned runs, two walks, but still managed six strikeouts. Um, it was obviously a little bit tougher because he had just, uh, he and the twins had just announced, uh, signing the extension that he for in a press conference. Um, honestly, it was just super cold. The real feel was around like 23, 25 degrees at, at first pitch. The air temp was like 35 degrees. Um, and I believe Do Young Park, uh, from MLB.com had this tweet, uh, where Pablo's like coldest start at first like the temperature at first pitch was 50 degrees and 
mind you, you remember he was a pitcher for the Marlins, so he's used to you know nice warm weather, um, able to always get a good grip on the ball. But yeah, his first at bat uh, in this game ended with a hit by pitch, and I think that pretty much set the tone for the rest of the day, where his command was just kind of all over the place. He had a lower velocity as well, just kept getting singled to death. Um, just you know all these these balls just kind of getting through the infield or you know bloop singles. Um, and I mean, there were some issues with the stuff. He got zero whips on the sweeper for the second start of the row. He couldn't really finish a lot of these two strike counts. Uh, he got to two strikes a lot, uh, but just didn't really trust his stuff in my opinion to, to get the guys out, but he still managed to finish with six strikeouts. So even in a pretty dismal start, um, I think there's still some positive takeaways. Yeah, I think, you know, it, it could be fairly argued that this is the worst start the Twins have had this year for many of their starters, maybe other than um, Maeda's injury shortened start. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I think even with that, he still made it through four innings. Like you said, he still struck out six and just these dumb national blooper singles over <laughs> and over and over again. Yeah. I mean, the fact that he got he got out of a few uh, jams despite giving up the five runs mm-hmm. and if this is what a bad start looks like for this twins rotation, I think they're in a pretty good place, right? This isn't Chris Archer or Dylan Bundy. This right. is okay. Not, yeah. not great. Not what you want. Definitely from the guy who's supposed to be your ace. But mm-hmm. when you factor in the temperature, the coldest game by far that he's ever started, mm-hmm. I, I'm not worried. I think he'll yeah. be fine. Same. Yeah. There was like a weird play too, where um, uh, it was Victor Robles was up to bat and he hit one into the outfield, and it um, Michael Day Taylor almost almost caught it, it, bounced off his glove, and then he Taylor fielded it, kind of lazily threw it to to Correa, who was the cutoff man. But Robles is so fast that by the time Correa got it, he was already halfway between second and third. And I was just like, mm. it's one of those games, isn't it? Like you could see, like Pablo was just kind of like a little disappointed. It was like that's just the that's just the day that I'm having where. Victor Robles, who is pretty much a negative on any yeah. other baseball team, manages to get like a fluke triple. Um, yeah. And because Michael A. Taylor, who makes that play 99 times out of 100, right? Yeah, like, he almost had it. Like it was it was, it was, was pretty impressive if he had managed to, to catch it. But right. yeah, just. If Buxton is the best defensive center fielder in baseball, Michael A. Taylor is probably like the third or fourth best defensive yep. center fielder in baseball, right? They and both so, have gold gloves. Yeah. Yeah. They, they both have gold gloves. They're both really really good out there it's just a bunch of unfortunate things coming together at the exact wrong time right yeah i mean and uh, the, i mean the next pitcher to talk about is is simeon switz richardson which mentioned got called up um like the twins were they weren't necessarily in it with pablo giving up five earned runs but they saw this starting uh, they saw that that a shot but then which richardson came in 4.2 innings actually his first two innings were pretty decent he gave up two quick hits but then kind of calmed down retired the rest of the side uh, and then did well in the sixth as well. But then in the seventh, um, gave up a, a gave up a hit, walked a guy. Um, and then CJ Abrams came up to plate and more or less golf swinged a homer. Um, the changeup was like a, at least I think a couple inches below the zone. It was a good changeup. Um, it was a good changeup. Yeah, yeah. It just sometimes it just it, it just gets taken for a ride. Um, I, I think with Woods Richardson, I, I think it's kind of clear he's more of a command guy. Um, he's, you know, he's going to be kind of nibbling around the corners. His fastball is not really anything to write home about. It's, you know, 90 miles an hour. Um, there's not exactly a ton of deception on it. Um, but this season, 
Um, he did have um, an 11K per nine. Uh, actually, sorry, his career is at 11K per nine in the minors. Um, so he does have a little bit of that in his profile. Um, I just think it, it, it's going to be interesting to see how that translates to the majors because he does feel like um, he's going to be uh, at least a end of the rotation guy for the Twins next season. So this was more of just kind of an opportunity to see, okay, what does this kid have? Yeah, I, I'm a little more optimistic, I think, about uh, Simeon Woods-Richardson. The fastball is an issue, right? There, there's no doubt about that. And maybe because of that, long-term, he does end up more in a bullpen role. But he's been a top 100 prospect. He has the reputation, I think, of the type of guy the Twins would like to develop into more mm-hmm. of a frontline starter. But the biggest issue has been the fastball. It's 90 miles an hour because he has that super over the top delivery that there's no deception on it at all. And so I think the twins would like to either get some more velocity out of that somehow, or get a little more deception a la Joe Ryan to turn that pitch into something a little more reliable. Uh, I can't find the tweet right now, but I do know uh, Eno Saris, his stuff plus ranking, Mm -hmm put Simeon Woods Richardson in the top 10 for minor league starting pitcher stuff plus. And so he has the stuff he's shown with the strikeout numbers that he can strike out minor league hitters. Yeah. Uh, And most importantly, the last two years, he's gotten his control under control, right? Mm -hmm. He, He went from a guy who was walking five, six guys per nine to a more reasonable two or three number. Mm -hmm. And so if he can just find something to do with that fastball, I think he can eventually be a frontline starter. If he can't maybe just having him as a, you know, breaking ball, heavy relief option. Isn't the end of the world. A la Griffin Jacks. Right. Uh, The bats, honestly, were probably the more disappointing part of the night, even with those terrible pitching uh, performances, because Chad cool was on the mound and he's nothing really to write home about. Uh, but he limited the twins somehow to three hits he, and he walked four batters. So it wasn't like, you know, there weren't people on the bases. Um, just a, just a tough, tough day overall for, for twins hitters. Buxton did get a homer though. Um, so, so that was nice to see. Uh, uh, but yeah, overall just very disappointing from, from the twins offense. Yeah. I don't really have a lot of other notes. I have a couple other Chad cool thoughts that I'm going to save for later for a different section of the pod, but um <laughs> Yeah, just another disappointing game from the offense where the Nationals are supposed to be the team that you blow up, win your three games, you move on to the next series, you're feeling good going into the Yankees. And we made the starting pitchers for uh, the Nationals look like top-line guys, which they're very much not. Right, yeah. Uh, And then finally, wrapping up game three, it was a 3-1 win. Basically, we didn't get swept, which is a nice thing here. Bailey Ober had a season debut, 5.2 innings, only one and run, four strikeouts, but three walks, which wasn't great. Um, it was kind of a standard Ober start. Nothing about it really stood out. Um, he has been struggling with his command this season. Like he his, I think he has had two starts in AAA, and both weren't that great. Um, he has a 3.06 walks per nine in the, in the, his, two, his minor starts. They did basically enough to keep the Twins of the game. Solid performance from the bullpen after a few shaky, shaky appearances. Uh, but the issue here was again the bats. I mean, we still won three one, which is nice. But Patrick Corbin is if there was an anti Cy Young, he'd be in the lead for that one. Uh, but we did get a Polanco homer, and then uh, Michael A. Taylor also got a homer too. Yeah, I, I think the biggest deal out of this game, the last one, was Jorge Polanco 
looking a little bit more like Jorge Polanco after yes. a rough rehab assignment, I would say. Yep. Um, two hits yesterday, three hits today. He hit the homer to tie the game. He hit the single to get, I think that was the third run the Twins got after the Polanco homer and the Michael A. Taylor homer. Um, and so he's been looking good. He's sitting right there in the middle of the lineup where I think the Twins are going to keep him in that three, four, five range, mm-hmm. uh, depending on who they're facing. But uh, like like I was saying earlier, just throwing him in there makes the lineup look a lot more cohesive. Yep. All right. Well, let's take a quick break, and then we'll be back to talk about some general takeaways for the week, as well as looking forward to the week ahead. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right. Welcome back. Let's talk about some big takeaways from the week. So the first one, in my opinion, is... We've got to find some offense. I think that was never more apparent than the series against the Nationals. Right now, the Twins have three guys in the everyday lineup with an above-average OPS. That's Buxton, Gallo, and then Vasquez, Jeffers, the catcher combo. Um, But I think two of those guys are not necessarily guys you can plan on having that above-average OPS throughout the season. I think we'd love if Gallo does that, but he got a one-year contract because it's a flyer not because he's necessarily reliable and the catchers, you know, Vasquez will hit some singles. Uh, Jeffers has shown that he can hit lefties, but they're not guys that you really can count on putting up that really good production game in and game out. The biggest bad spots in the lineup have been Correa and Miranda, right? Mm -hmm. Not that they're necessarily worse than someone like Nick Gordon, but those are the guys who you're counting on hitting in the middle of your lineup and really producing. We've seen Miranda get bumped back pretty far in the lineup prior to today against uh, Patrick Corbin and the lefty. Uh, But Correa, especially with that big contract, with his reputation, with his leadership in the clubhouse, you know, he he needs to start leading by example a little bit. I can think of an at bat against uh, Chad cool. I believe it was in Mm -hmm. the Saturday game where Correa went up 3-0, great hitters count, and then he just didn't look like he had a plan, right? You know Cool throws the slider, and he was clearly sitting slider, but 3-0, he got two fastballs right down the middle, didn't swing it. And then 3-2, he chases a slider out of the zone, Correa's done, right? And so Correa, I think, embodies what most of the lineup outside of maybe Buxton and Gallo have looked like so far this season, which is just not having a plan. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to say who exactly that falls on, whether it's the players, whether it's the coaching, but I, I think there's something that needs to change here because again, it, it seems like sometimes they're going up there and getting lucky, 
and they're not mm-hmm. necessarily attacking with a certain mindset, looking for certain pitches, relying on the patterns that pitchers typically go in. Mm-hmm. Uh, John, what are your thoughts on the offense so far? Uh, I mean, to kind of maybe speak to your point about that, that Chad Cool Carlos Correa um, matchup. Um, I like I when when Correa went up three zero, I was like, all right, swing away. And I believe what Cool tossed him was like a ninety-two mile an hour fastball, like not middle middle, but basically middle middle. Right. Um. And it was like, oh man, that's the perfect pitch to turn on. And then he let three one go. And then yeah, like you mentioned that that three two pitch, he I think he swung under. I can't remember exactly where his, where his bat was in relation to the ball, but he I think he was like, oh, I've got this. It just basically missed. Um. He's been his stats have been I don't know not like that out of this world bad like he is he has a lower batting average lower VP uh, but he isn't like striking out more necessarily twenty three percent compared to twenty percent um, walking a little bit less but yeah there's just something up there where um, I don't know if he's just not seeing the ball well um, he did struggle a little bit out of the gate last year too so I don't know if it's a cold weather thing but. Um, yeah, I, I think that's been, that's been frustrating. Um, overall though, as a team, they're actually third worst in the majors in terms of strikeout rate. Um, 26% as a team, they're striking out and that's, that's well above, um, it's well above average. Um, and then in terms of walk rate, um, they're, they're 24th in terms of, in walk rate, in terms of getting walks. So, uh, it's something with the plate discipline right now for the team as a whole, just, just isn't working. Um, and I don't even know if you can attribute things to luck because um, they're they're 20th in BABIP, which isn't bad or good. It's just that that's just what it is. And right. it doesn't mean that they're getting unlucky or unluckier than the majority. They're unluckier than the they're you know, the real average of BABIP, but that doesn't necessarily mean that, oh, they're just unlucky. Yeah. With, with Correa specifically, too. I think he's worse than what the numbers have shown so far. It's like I said, he's looked like he hasn't had a plan, but also yeah. his numbers are propped up by two short porch Yankee stadium That's home runs yep. that mm-hmm. in any other stadium, it's a fly out to right. And right. so, you know, that, that makes him look like, Oh, he's hit a couple home runs. He's got a little power. No, that that's lucky playing in the right stadium at the right time. And now mm-hmm. most of baseball is luck, right? That that's part of what playing baseball is, yep. but it's very clear that, outside of Buxton, especially guys just haven't had it so far to start this season. And I think there's a few other things you can look at too um, for that, which is obviously the injuries have played a big part, but Mm -hmm. they're starting to get healthy. Now you've seen Polanco get off to a good start. I don't think he's going to get two or three hits in every single game, but having him in the lineup every day is going to help Gallo's back. Hepler, despite getting a lot of ire from the fans um, has actually looked pretty good since coming off of the IL. Yeah. I think he's had two homers since. Two homers. He's making solid contact. He's never really struck out, but he's still not striking out. He's taken a good amount of walks. And so I know people get frustrated when they see Kepler top of the lineup, but he, he's been okay. He hasn't been mm-hmm. an issue. The The bigger issue has been, I think, Larnick, who has cooled down. So they haven't had that guy um, to drive in the runs in the middle of the lineup after Buxton. Right. Yeah. Uh, he, he's hit the ball hard a little bit more in the past couple of games, got a little bit unlucky, but uh, you know, this is a little bit of a trend we've seen from Larnick at this point, which is he gets off to a hot, hot start. Pitchers remember that he can't hit breaking balls and then he never sees fastballs after that and he can't hit. Mm-hmm. And so 
he has to make that adjustment. He has to figure out a way to make better contact with the breaking stuff. And um, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens, but there haven't been a lot of positive signs and you'll go right back into the heat of things against the Yankees tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. That's just like, uh, yeah. Congratulations. You lost the series to the nationals. Here come the Yankees. Um, it is weird though. I mentioned this last week and I was looking at the numbers again with runners in scoring position. They're still second in OPS, which is like very I mean, opposite of what you'd think for the exactly. Twins. But I guess the problem is that they're just not getting people in scoring position. So they're, they're not stringing things together like you need to see, right? So even right. today they won three to two, and they did get you know the two out walk single single combo to drive in a run uh, that third run. But the other two runs were a solo shot by Polanco and a solo shot by Taylor, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of what it's been so far. Is are you hitting enough solo home runs to win? And that's right. not a reliable strategy long term. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, I, I just don't know who who really is to you know blame here. I mean, there is a little bit of a plate discipline issue. Um, sometimes you just you know don't get lucky, like we saw with the Nationals, just being able to get pretty much string every single hit through the infield. Um, you know, Twins weren't as lucky, but when you can't take advantage of starters like Chad Cool or Patrick Corbin, um, it is a little worrying. But we mentioned a little bit earlier, but Patrick Corbin has literally been probably the worst starting pitcher who's gotten a good amount of run over yeah. the past two three years. Uh, his ERA, I believe, is 5-4 in that span. He uh, basically turns every hitter into Aaron Judge, uh, <laughs> giving up a, like 950 OPS on average. It's basically him or Madison Bumgarner who have been who just got DFA'd by right. uh, the Diamondbacks who have been the worst of the worst. And so if you can't get it done against Patrick Corbin, it's hard to imagine – you know, what it looks like against, say, Garrett Cole. Now, luckily, they're not going to have to face Garrett Cole this time against the Yankees. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you want to only be able to put up two or three runs against the good starters, against a guy like Patrick Corbin. I- I'm thinking you want to get at least eight, right? Like, maybe not all against Corbin, but against a weak Nationals pitching staff, you just got to show a little bit more. Right. On the opposite side, though, the reason the Twins are still in the division, are still in playoff contention, is their starting pitching and their bullpen, which, you know, we talked a little bit about Pagan's blow-up, Alcala's blow-up, Moran's blow-up. But outside of those three, pretty much every single pitcher the Twins have thrown out there has been really reliable. You know, they've, yeah. started, just show, they've started to show a few more cracks in the last couple uh, starts here against the Red Sox and the end of the series against the Yankees. But again, like we were talking about, even the bad cracks that we're seeing, I think are better than the average we've been seeing from the twins in 2020, 2021, 2022. Yeah. I mean, even with that horrible start from Pablo, they're still second in the majors in terms of starter ERA. Uh, When you look at their relievers, like, yeah, you're like, Oh, it hasn't been really that pretty. Um, Like the relievers aren't like, Terrible, terrible. I mean, they, they don't have a great team ERA, but they're, you know, fully average. Um, right. And that's that's with, you know, like Simmons Woods Richardson just giving up five earned runs yesterday or, um, you know, Jack's randomly giving up two or, you know, Pagan giving up, what was that, six earned runs, right? Eight total, six earned, something like that. Yeah. So, like, the the even with all these bad performances, their, their reliever core is still average. And I think that's because, for the most part, uh, Jorge Lopez, Duran, and Jax pretty much do what they're supposed to do when when they they try out for the seventh, eighth, and ninth inning. 
Yeah, Jorge Lopez especially has been just absolutely dominant to start the season. Mm-hmm. He was a big question that we talked about coming into the season of, you know, the bullpen makes sense if Lopez is what he was the first half of last year. And so far, he's been just as good, if not better. He's pitched 9.2 innings. He's only given up three hits. He hasn't walked a single guy. He's given up one run, and it was unearned, right? And so I don't know how it gets much better than that. Yeah, it, they're they're the reason why we have 12 wins basically um yes like we've had some real nice blowout loss uh, blowout wins you know 10 runs against the red sox you know we put up uh, a lot against the yankees the week before um but it, it just seems like with this twins team like they just score runs in bunches uh and by bunches it's like one game like every yeah. other game they're like oh you know we're, we're getting two runs here or, or you know three runs here um, yeah. it doesn't seem like a, there's a consistent offense Definitely. I mean, the other thing that helps too is playing in the AL Central, which has pretty much been just as bad as advertised. Yep. Uh, the Twins are the only team with a record above 500. The Guardians won today, so they're sitting at 500 at 11 and 11. The Twins at 12 and 10. Mm-hmm. The White Sox continued their trend of just showing complete disinterest in playing competitive baseball for any <laughs> extended period of time. They're yeah. behind the Tigers right now, I believe. Right. Somehow the Tigers are third, right? right. Like, that's incredible. And so, you know, the White Sox aren't going to be an issue. It seems like already it's a two-team race between the Guardians and the Twins. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the, the good news is that even if the Twins have a bad week like they had this week, if they have another bad week, if, frankly, if they have three bad weeks in a row, that's mm-hmm. not going to be the end of the world because I don't really see any team going on a run. I, I, the Guardians showed that they could do it last year. I yep. think they very severely overperformed in that last month of the season while the Twins very severely underperformed. And right. so – it's going to be a close run the whole way. And I think at the end of the day, the talent will pay out. And while, yeah, right now it doesn't feel good. The twins clearly have the most talent in the division. Right. I mean, and everyone deals with health. I mean, obviously the gardens are dealing with Tristan McKenzie being out, but we just got Polanco back who was slated to be, you know, the starting second baseman. Kirilov is still, you know, unknown in terms of what his status is, but you know, he was expected to be the starting first baseman. Um, Trevor Larnick's been performing really well, really well, even though he wasn't expected to start in left field. So, um, yeah, there's just a lot of things that are going okay for these twins. And I think being 12 and 10, while it's not what you, you know, wanted, um, especially with the hot start that we have going 10 and six, um, I think you, you just take the ups and downs because it's a long baseball season. Yeah. I think we're only what, like. 13% of the way through the season, something like that. Right. Basically Mm -hmm. the equivalent of one NFL game. Yeah. And so, um, you know, it's good to not overreact. We went hard on the offense, but they very well could have a great week next week. And that's, what's great about the season being so small, right? If Carlos Correa hits three home runs next week, well, all of a sudden now his numbers are looking pretty good. And so, um, it's small sample sizes. Things can turn around really quickly. And with the reputation of a guy like, Correa with Miranda showing his ability to adjust after a really slow start last year. Um, I, I think it can come around. It's just a matter of when. Right. Uh, in other news, let's get to a few uh, updates from around the twins. So the first one we already mentioned was Alex Kirilov, who has been destroying AAA pitching uh, on his rehab assignment. Uh, I think these numbers are from before today. He's hitting 444. I know he hit another home run today uh, for the Saints. And so he's not just hitting, but he's hitting and he's driving the ball with, Mm -hmm. with, with that wrist injury. That's something that you really want to see out of Kirilov. Um, 
And whether or not he comes back right when he's available to coming off of his rehab assignment is up for question. Aaron Gleeman of The Athletic uh, was reporting earlier this week that Kirilov might just be optioned to AAA after his rehab assignment ends this week. Basically, Gallo has been pretty good. And then with Larnick and Kepler being fairly reliable in the corners, there has not really a spot for Kirilov on the team. Now, you could bring him up and have him be a bench bat, but I think with a guy like Kirilov, you want him getting at bats every single day. And yep. so could you bring him up and send down Willie Castro? Absolutely. But Willie Castro, you know, fills a specific role that Kirilov can't. Right. Yeah. I, and I think this is partially in, about the fact that um, Buxton is DHing full time as well. So, you know, if you, if you have Kirilov up, then, you know, for example, where do you put Larnak, right? Like he, he essentially becomes a bench bat there. And I think they've seen enough promise in Larnak that they're like, you know, we want him to get everyday at bats and it doesn't make sense to send him to AAA and, and pull and bring Kirilov up. Um, and we'll, you know, we'll see as, as the season progresses, if, if Buxton's going to play more in the field, because I think that just opens up more opportunities for uh, guys like um, Gallo or Larnick to be in that TH spot, you know, once every three days or something like that. Yeah, I, I think there's there's definitely a spot for Kirloff in the everyday lineup once Byron moves back to playing every day or at least, you know, three or four times a week in center field. Mm-hmm. And right. so I don't think they'll go right away to every single day. They'll ease him in, especially since he hasn't played there at all. Um, and once that happens, I think that's when we'll see Kirilov, Kirilov up. I think the other thing that could make maybe get him up earlier is obviously an injury, which we don't want to happen. But yep. Larnick continues to slump. If Kepler maybe regresses and he is maybe looking more like a bench guy instead of a guy in the everyday lineup, that's another thing that could happen. Um, but unfortunately, with Gallo and with Kepler, because of their contract situations, because they can't be just sent to AAA outright, um, they – would have the right to refuse. They could go to a different team. And so they're going to be on the team as long as they're healthy, right? Right. So really yep. your only move you can make to get Kirilov in the everyday lineup, assuming Buxton is DHing, is sending Larnick down. That's really the only way it can happen. Right. And I don't think he'll be going down anytime soon no. because like you said, he's shown enough good stuff that he deserves a spot to stick around. But I would say so does Kirilov. So you're kind of in a weird spot. Right. Yeah. And I think it's probably good for Kirilov too. Because obviously the rehab assignment is, you know, he's, he's playing games, but you know, being able to string together maybe like two weeks of games where he's playing every single day, the wrist feels good. I think just gives Twins, you know, a little bit more um, comfort in in calling him up instead of you know calling him up and then he immediately is like, oh, I'm 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 not feeling great, yeah. and they have to send him back to uh, either AAA or, or to the IL again. So um, the the last know, thing I, I'll the last thing I'll say with Kirilov before we move on to our next note here is he he's the guy that I think can really change how this offense looks completely right. And so I get the twins don't want to rush him and there has to be a spot for him, but he's a former consensus top 20 prospect because of his bat, right? He's never been a good fielder. He's always been an elite top level minor league hitter. We saw last year when he played in AAA, when the twins optioned him down after struggling with that wrist injury, you know, he hit like three 30 or something like that for a month straight. Mm -hmm. He won the twins minor league hitter of the month. He doesn't have much else to prove in the minor leagues. And with this being his last option year, this is kind of his year to prove he can stick around on the big leagues before he's out of options next year. And so he's the guy that if he's looking right, if he's healthy, can completely transform the lineup because he's that left-handed middle of the lineup bat that can drive in runs. He can be 
what the Twins want Joey Gallo to be without the strikeouts. And so I would find a place to get Kirloff in the lineup at basically as soon as you can. But I understand with his history, especially with that tricky wrist injury that he struggled with, the Twins wanted to take an ultra cautious approach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the other big news, obviously, we mentioned too, is Pablo Lopez signing a four-year, seventy-three and a half million dollar extension. Um, essentially, he had one year left in arbitration, so they bought that out for you know basically thirteen and a half million dollars, um, and then they you know tacked on a three-year, sixty million dollar contract. Um, and this is the most money that the Twins have given to any pitcher for this this specific front office, based on not just contract total, but also um, annual average value. So um, good for Pablo. I think this has been a trade that has worked out really well for both sides. We we say that every single week, but it really has been nice to be able to trot him out every single every five days and just know you're going to get a good result. Um, yes, he just had a blip, but um, I think. You know that that's that's maybe the the worst it gets for this season for Pablo. Yeah, as long as both guys stay healthy, I think this is a rare win-win trade where the Marlins got that top of the lineup bat that they've really needed the last couple of years, and the Twins got that front line starter that they've really needed for the past couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, and and with his contract, I think it doesn't get much more team friendly for what Pablo has shown so far this year. Yep. Um, I mentioned this on my Twinkie Town article that I wrote about the extension, but if you use um, some recent contracts to compare, it's easy to see the Twins got a killer deal, right? So some easy comparisons to make. Logan Webb, who has a little bit more team control, but also just recently signed an extension, got five years, 90 million. Uh, Jameson Tyon, who was a free agent this year, got four for 68. And then the last one to look at is... Uh, Jose Barrios, our old friend, who got seven for 131 from the Blue Jays. Now, obviously, that hasn't worked out very well for the Blue Jays so far, but given where he was when he signed it, a pretty similar spot to Pablo with year of team control remaining uh, following this one. Um, you know, Barrios opted for the bigger lump sum over a longer stretch, kind of this being his last deal versus Pablo opted. Well, let's go a little bit shorter and hit free agency again after his age 31 season, try to get that one other big contract. And so we talked about this a little bit earlier this year about what a potential Pablo extension could look like. I think this is a way smaller number than anything I could have predicted, which is really good for a team like the Twins where they're spending more, but they definitely still have to watch their costs year to year. Right. And the other thing too is, you know, we don't know which ones of Sonny Gray, Tyler Molly, or Kentomeda is coming back next year. So you want to save a little bit of money for, you know, being able to sign your number two pitcher. Um, you know, it, for all of the crap that the Twins get for, you know, being cheap skates, um, I think I've been impressed in the last two years, uh, or really the last three, four years, that they've been willing to um, pursue, you know, guys like Pablo or, you know, you know even their, their failed pursuit of Zach Wheeler. You know, they realized that if we want to compete, like, we do need to have, like, a, a good baseball team. Yeah. You mentioned Zach Wheeler, right? This is the most money the Twins have ever given to a pitcher. It wasn't for a lack of trying. They tried to give Zach Wheeler $100 million plus. They tried to give you Darvish $100 million plus a few years before that. Yep. The guys ultimately decided to go somewhere else. And so that's why getting Pablo here was a big part of it, right? We, we've seen from a lot of guys that come into Minnesota, once they get here, they like it here. They mm-hmm. want to be here. They like the infrastructure that the Twins have set up. They like that they're trying to win every single year. Um, and so Pablo clearly bought into that. He likes the vision of where the organization is going. And so I, I think as fans, you know, we like to hem and haw and be like, oh, 
Rocco, why'd you do this? Falvey, why'd you do this? But it's clear that the players respect the leadership of the team and want to be here for the long term. Yep. Um, so let's do a quick look ahead to next week before we wrap up. Uh, we mentioned already about the Twins have the Yankees this week, uh, followed by a series against the Royals. The good news about the Yankees is that they don't have to face Garrett Cole, who destroyed them last time out. And so they'll get Johnny Brito in game one, who they got, what, nine runs in the first inning off of, I think, yep. or maybe like only seven or eight of them were off of Brito technically. Um, they batted around, which is big yeah. <laughs> enough. <laughs> yeah. For how bad the offense has looked, Brito made the twins look quite good. Yep. Um, and then on Wednesday, we'll get a rematch with Domingo Herman, which will be interesting given the sticky stuff situation and Max Serger, Max Serger. God damn it. We were doing so good this podcast. Uh, let me make a quick note. And then on Wednesday, the Twins will get to pick back up against Domingo Herman, uh, which, given the sticky stuff situation from our last start against him, will be an interesting battle, if nothing else. I think the Twins will be watching closely, um, especially after Max Scherzer got suspended for a similar rosin-related sticky hand incident. Yeah. Uh, let's just hope he's not perfect through three innings. <laughs> That's right. Um, and then, of course, they'll play the Royals, who they already swept once this year. Um, you know, we said this about the Nationals, where it'll be nice to go play an easier team, get some runs on the board, get a few wins under their belt. Hopefully that's what it actually looks like this time around. Um, but it'll it'll be good to play a team that's not the Yankees because it's always a little stressful to play the Yankees, yeah. regardless of what's happening. Yeah, I mean, and we get to face, you know, the tough Tough starting pitching for uh, the Royals. I mean, we get their we get we get their best pitchers, I guess, which is like okay, whatever. I mean, that's that's still you know Zach Greinke, uh, I think Brad Keller and Brady Singer are the other two that are pitching. Yeah, uh, don't quote me on that, but yeah, like so we act, we we get to face you know I guess legitimate pitchers, but they are also five and sixteen, so <laughs> it's yeah, they, uh, it's they, not great. Uh, the the pitching has actually not been horrible for the Royals. The hitting, on the other hand, has been atrocious. So. Yeah. I think the Twins will be able to stack up a few wins against the team they're pretty familiar with. Yep. But in the meantime, thank you for listening. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast if you like what you're hearing. Uh, if you don't like what you're hearing, I don't care. Subscribe anyway because <laughs> it helps us look better. Um, if you like what you're hearing too, be sure to check us out on our other platforms. Uh, you can read me and our other Twinkytown writers at twinkytown.com where we cover every single game, transaction, move that the Twins make. It's always fun to pop into our game threads, have some good lighthearted banter with fun Twins fans as opposed to maybe some other Twins fans you'll see on like Facebook, for example, where it's just a cesspool of awful uh, Twins fans. I would not rececommend ever checking out the comments on the Twins Facebook posts. That That's just asking for a disaster. Yikes. Uh, you can also tech, check out John on Pitcher List on his fantasy baseball podcast. If you are interested in fantasy baseball, there's been uh, some interesting trends. I just picked up Patrick Wisdom because he can't stop hitting home runs. Yeah. Uh, any other fantasy advice you have for me, John? Um. No, uh, Patrick. Uh, yeah, Patrick Wisdom is is he's 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 on pace for I think like sixty homers or something like that. So so Aaron perfect. Judge, watch out. <laughs> National League MVP Patrick Wisdom coming. Yeah. Away. Clearly. Um, uh, be sure to follow us on Twitter at 
the John Ka for John and at Ben Jones underscore five for myself. You can also follow the pod at Twins Talk Pod. Uh, and like I said before, subscribe, leave a five star rating, and be sure to tell others about the show as well. Uh, in the meantime, thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you next week.